John's Gospel in the 15th chapter. Our focus will be on verses 12 through 17 tonight. As you're turning there, let me read you this quote by Jonathan Edwards. He says of his friendship to Christ, Jonathan Edwards does, Whatsoever there is or can be that is, desi- that is desirable to be in a friend is in Christ. And that to the highest degree that can be desired. Whatsoever there is or can be that is desirable to be in a friend is in Christ. And that to the highest degree that can be desired. Praise the Lord that Christ befriended the likes of us. Friends are a wonderful part of life and ministry. Amen to that? They're a wonderful part of life and ministry. Great Bible teacher Howard Hendricks once said, the two things that will influence you most in the next 10 years are the books that you read and the friends that you keep. Can anybody testify to the truth of that statement? The friends that you keep and the books that you read. Friends are a wonderful part of life and ministry. But friends can also be a very difficult part of life and ministry, right? How many, amen. <laughs> How many have ever said this life and this ministry would be a whole lot easier if it wasn't for my friends, the people that I call my friends? Friends can be a difficult part of life and ministry. How many have ever found themselves either thinking these thoughts or saying them out loud? I don't have any friends. I have lots of acquaintances, but not really any close friends. I have lots of social media friends. If only I had someone who really understood me and could objectify what I was thinking. If only my spouse were still alive. If only I were married, then I would have a best friend. If only people reciprocated in kind to how much I have poured of myself into them then I would have friends. Why did God have to move my family away from my friends? I'm so busy with my kids, I don't have time for my friends. If only I hadn't been such a friendship killer in the past. I've burned so many bridges, there's no way anyone is going to put themselves out there for me now. Friendships can be very complicated. And you may know someone, perhaps yourself, this this evening, who has a lonely heart, as we sang just a moment ago. And you guys know the Sunday evening church crowd knows where I'm going with this, right? Where would you point a person who said, I am lonely and I need a friend? There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. And you'd point them to the one who sticks closer than a brother. And that is the truth. Amen to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior, but also our friend. And if you are an unbeliever tonight, that is your message. Jesus is your Savior. And he has extended himself to you as a friend of sinners. And he has died for your sin. Would you trust him tonight if you are that lonely heart? But also, we learn something in the scriptures. The fact that Jesus has befriended us should impact the way we relate as friends to one another. Many times tonight, we've already sung these truths. What a friend we have in Jesus. Come, lonely hearts, to the outsider's friend. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Jesus, what a friend of sinners. And I know there's many other songs that you could sing. 
The friendship with Jesus makes all the difference in the world. But I want to talk tonight about how Jesus befriending us impacts our friendships with one another. And this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the 15th chapter of John's Gospel. We know that the 15th chapter of John's Gospel is all about relationships. In verses 1 through 11, we have the relationship of the branches to Christ. The branches' relationship to the vine. In verses 12 through 17, we have the branches' relationship to the branches. The believer's relationship to the believers. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. How our relationship with Christ the vine impacts our relationship with believers. And then in verses 18 and following, we have the believer's relationship with the world. And you will notice as you read through John 15, Jesus does not address the believer's relationship to other believers until he first addresses the believer's relationship to the vine, to Christ first. Because our ongoing relationship with Christ, our friend, should impact our ongoing relationships with friends, believers, and unbelievers. And I like the way a commentator and pastor, R. Kent Hughes, puts the point of this passage. He says this, We must love the vine before we love its branches. We are called to love the branches. Follow along with me as I read John 15, verses 12 through 17. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version tonight. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Father, as we look at the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, to us tonight, I pray that we would not only hear and obey the commandment to love as Jesus loved, but that you would give us skill into how to do this as we relate to one another as biblical friends. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our friend. Amen. You notice that the paragraph we're looking at tonight is bracketed with the two commands. Jesus says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. And then in verse 17, he repeats it, this is my command, this I command you, that you love one another. The command is the bracketing of the passage. I like to think of verses 13 through 16 as really Jesus putting skin on the bones of this commandment. To make it look and make it look like something and to show us what this love looks like so to that end i want to express to you if you want to take some notes three different principles from these verses three different principles from this text that will help us to relate to one another in biblical friendship loving biblical friendship i should say the first principle is this and we find it in verse 13 biblical friendships are sacrificial. 
Biblical friendships are sacrificial. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that chapter 15, verses 12, 13, and 17 is not the first time Jesus has spoken these words to his disciples. Back in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he tells them this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. A new commandment. This idea of sacrifice is found in the phrase, as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. This term love is the term agapao, which is the reference to the unconditional and sacrificial giving of yourself to meet the needs of others. But I'm intrigued at this idea of Jesus saying, this is a new commandment. What does Jesus mean when he says, this is a new commandment? that you are to love one another as I have loved you. Have the disciples never been told that they were to love one another? Did their parents not teach them that they should love their brothers and sisters? Is this new news to them? What does Jesus mean by this? Well, you don't have to turn there, but take your minds to Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, where Jesus tells his hearers and onlookers what the greatest commandments are. Do you remember what they are? We are to love God, and love our neighbor as ourselves. This is something they know. We're supposed to love one another. But in what way? As Jesus loved them. The disciples knew they were supposed to love each other. Friends know they're supposed to have their friends' backs. But Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. And verse 13, we know this well. What extreme demonstration of sacrificial love does Jesus give to his disciples so they understand what Jesus is saying? There's no greater love than to sacrifice your very life for the one that you identify as your friend. We know that this is what Jesus is going to do for his disciples. But that leads us to another question. What type of friends did Jesus identify with that he sacrificed himself for? Do you remember what his onlookers said of Jesus in Matthew eleven nineteen. This is Jesus' enemies. They said this of your Savior. The Son of Man came in eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, this is what they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What type of people did Jesus call his friends. And this is an interesting question. This is an interesting scenario. And it's really interesting to know that Jesus' enemies actually saw his heart expressed the best. But have you ever wondered to yourself, self, why did Jesus get this title? Would we have been like Jesus? This is the way I think it would have been for me if I would have happened to have been popular in the day of Jesus, which wouldn't have happened. All of these outcasts, all of these rebels keep hanging around me but I probably would have been saying to myself, I wish they'd go away. I don't want to be identified with them. I want to be with the crowd that has it all together. I want to be with people who actually can benefit my life. I want those types of friends. But Jesus identifies himself with tax collectors and sinners. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Matthew 5, Jesus 
brings all of this together for his disciples when he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. They know this commandment. And hate your enemy. Jesus fixes this. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus' example of love was not to sacrifice himself for the lovable or the lovely or the people that could be of benefit to his reputation. His example of sacrificial love was demonstrated to his enemies while they were still sinning against him. The people who Jesus befriended and sacrificed were his enemies and sinners. I often think of application to the truth of God's word through hymns. You'll have to bear with me. One of my favorite hymns is by Samuel Crossman called My Song is Love Unknown. Is anyone familiar with this old hymn? A few of you. The ones who I thought would be. (laughs) Samuel Crossman says, My song is love unknown. My Savior's love to me. Love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? He came from his blessed throne salvation to bestow. But men made strange, and none the longed-for Christ would know. But oh, my friend, my friend indeed, who at my need his life did spend. You think about the disciples that Jesus invested three years of his life with. Do you think they were easy to love? Maybe at times, probably not at all times. You think about those tax collectors and sinners, one of them being Matthew, who was one of his disciples. For three years, Jesus had been showing his disciples that the love that we are to extend to people is not dependent upon their worthiness to be loved. But God's love embraces the weak, the flawed, the utterly unworthy. Jesus expressed this just moments ago to his disciples through an incredible illustration to them. What did he do? John's Gospel says he loved them to the end, and even to Judas, his betrayer, he continues to attempt to restore him through the Last Supper, and he washes Judas's feet. He loves them sacrificially. He identifies with their weakness. You think about that last meal that night. You think about the picture that you saw of your Savior, who you had spent the last three years with. And you understand that the call is to be sacrificial. You understand all of this, but you're seeing Jesus do all of this in real time. This is so humbling to think about the heart of our Savior, knowing that he is about to lay down his very life in sacrifice for his friends, and they still don't quite get it. But why does Jesus do this? Jesus is teaching his disciples that he, as a full human being, is able to rest his identity in being the Son of God in order to do his Father's will at full personal cost to himself, to the benefit of other people. 
He is willing to do this. Jesus did not just give of himself. He literally gave himself. And that is what he's calling his disciples to do. Love with biblical friendship, with a level of sacrifice that I am demonstrating to you in real time and that I will demonstrate to you on the cross. Is this difficult for you to do? Can I get a witness, please? Or am I the only one that struggles with this? I have been broken this week when I think about the level of sacrifice that I bring to relationships. And I've learned as as I'm prayerfully humble before the Lord that my sacrifice is usually dependent upon whether or not the person I'm sacrificing for is being the ideal person that they should be. You understand what I'm saying? It's really easy to sacrifice for my kids when they're being good kids. It's really easy for me to sacrifice as a pastor to a church member when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But have you ever found yourself saying to a person who, perhaps in their ignorance, they don't know what they're supposed to do, they're not doing the right thing, and you say, they ought to know better. How dare they? Don't they know what I do for them? At that moment, you are not loving the person as they are. You are loving the person as you think they ideally should be. And praise God that Jesus loved us as we were. And not before we cleaned ourselves up. He didn't wait till we cleaned ourselves up to love us. He brought himself to us and gave himself for us. And we need to love people as they are. Not just with the ideal vision of who they should be. Biblical friendships are sacrificial. The second principle. Biblical friendships are sharing Biblical friendships are sharing. I went through about six different letter S words before I landed on sharing, and my wife told me that was the best one. I won't tell you the other ones right now. You can ask me later. Biblical friendships are sharing. Jesus says in verse 14, a verse that we know very well, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And yes, this verse does speak primarily of obedience. We should obey what Christ tells us to do. But these these words are also Jesus sharing with his disciples what is in his heart. I don't think Jesus is saying here that unless you obey my commands, I will not initiate a friendship with you. I don't think Jesus is saying that if you disobey my commands, I will unfriend you. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that those who identify with me as a friend characterize their lives in the way that I befriended other people. They characterize their lives in the way that Jesus loved other people. I think Jesus is telling his disciples here, again, bracketed with the command to love one another, that they are to be loving other people and sharing Jesus' heart for people. Let's unpack this a little bit. Close friends share the same heartbeat, don't they? They live for the same things. They have the same goals in mind. I think that's what Jesus is referring to here. Paul says this of his relationship with Timothy, doesn't he? Over in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit 
literally of like soul, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. There's similar language in the Old Testament, the relationship of David to the son of King Saul, Jonathan. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says, Now it came about when, when David had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Their souls were knit together. They were one-souled. They shared one heart. And Jesus is telling his disciples here, if you identify with me as a friend, you had better identify with the way I befriended others in love. Otherwise, don't call yourself a friend of mine, because this is what my friendship looks like. In case this is a little abstract for us, I'm thankful that Jesus gives us an illustration of what he's saying in verse 15. Go back to John chapter 15 and look at verse 15. Jesus says, as an illustration of this, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. What did people think of slaves in Jesus' day? Well, Greek philosopher Aristotle said that slaves were nothing more than tools. Agricultural tools to be used, traded, and discarded as needed. They're not people that you share your heart with. They're people that you use to get what you want. And Jesus is saying to his disciples... I am not like a master over slaves, where I just tell you what to do, but don't share my heart with you. I am sharing my heart with you. Everything the Father has been telling me that I have to live out as a human being, I am sharing with you so that we live this out together. Can you imagine hearing this as a disciple from your Lord, from your master, from your creator? These are incredible words. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. Is he the disciples' Lord? Yes. Is he telling the disciples, I'm no longer your Lord? No. What he's saying is, as your Lord, I'm not just lording myself over you without sharing my heart. You're my friends, and I want to share my heart of obedience to do the will of my Father in loving the lost and loving you. And I want you to share that heartbeat. If you identify with me, you'd better identify with my heart because I identified myself as a friend of sinners in obedience to the will of the Father. This is a rich truth. Don Carson, commentating on this passage, says, An absolute potentate demands obedience in all his subjects. His slaves, however, are simply told what to do, while his friends are informed of his thinking enjoy his confidence, and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's heart. So also here, Jesus' absolute right to command is in no way diminished, but he takes pains to inform his friends of his motives, his plans, his purposes. In other words, he shares his heart with them. Have you ever struggled to befriend a person who was your authority? 
Has that ever been difficult? It can be very difficult. One of the most intimate pictures that I see of Jesus' relationship with his disciples is found in Matthew 26, verse 38, where Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, into the garden to pray. And what does Jesus disclose about himself to his disciples in that verse? Strong Jesus. The Jesus who was always there and always able to be dependent upon. Their Lord, their creator, their master, their savior. And yet in this moment of intimate transparency and sharing, Jesus says this to his friends. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Would that strike you as reinforcing your trust in Jesus? Or would that cause you to doubt your friend, Jesus? Have you ever not shared your heart because you didn't want people to doubt you? You ever not shared your heart because you wanted people to think you've got it all together and you don't need any help? The full human, with a human will, Jesus, our Savior, shared his heart at his most grievous time with his, with his disciples. Do not miss this. We all have different roles, positions, backgrounds, interests, hobbies, in our workplaces, but also as members of Fourth Baptist Church. And yet we have something in common. We have all had the revelation of God shared with us and have been befriended by Jesus our Savior who was transparent in his heart's desire to live out the truth in obedience to his Father's will. And when he was struggling, yet without sin, at his most struggling point, he did not run away from his friends, but he shared his heart with his friends. This is so rich. Do you share your heart with Jesus? Do you recognize day after day that Jesus knows all about your struggles, can fully sympathize with your weaknesses, yet without sin? And is your heart drawn to the Savior's heart? Only then will you be willing to be secure enough to share your heart with your friends and be willing to break down that wall of transparency where they might take some information about you and misuse it. Are you willing to be secure in your relationship with Christ so that you can share with your friends? Pastor R. Kent Hughes says this, We all need close friends. Close friends who can objectify our thoughts. We need the healing that so often comes when we reveal our feelings to one another without fear that our confidence will be broken. There is too often loneliness of soul in the body of Christ. As believers, we need to take time to talk about one another's goals, pray about our needs, share and encourage one another. Biblical friendships are sharing, and Jesus demonstrated that so tenderly and transparently to his disciples. And then the third principle, found in verse 16. 
Biblical friendships are successful. They're successful. What do we mean by this? Verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's usually where we focus our attention in that verse. Yes, God's sovereignty over salvation. And that is true. He did choose his disciples. God is sovereign. But to what end did Jesus choose them? And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus chose his disciples for the purpose of success. Can I say that? For fruitfulness. For prosperity. What fruit does Jesus have in mind here? I think surely he has in mind souls coming to Christ. As people who have been befriended by Christ share this love that they have seen from Christ to others. People see the love of Christ and join the family, and that is fruit. But also, just practically, day after day after day as the body of Christ, living out the truth of God's word in each other's presence, encouraging one another, and living out the fruits of the Spirit in our lives and in one another's lives, and sharing of that fruit together to strengthen us. Keep in mind what is happening here in real time as Jesus speaks to his friends, his disciples. What is Jesus doing? He's preparing them for his departure. And he's telling them, some things are going to happen that you don't want to happen, and I'm going to leave, for, leave you, and it's actually to your benefit that I leave you. The Spirit will come and will remind you of all the things that I have taught you. But I'm leaving. But I chose you so that I could be sending you to be successful in this thing that we call ministry. To do the will of the Father as my representatives after I leave. I perfectly represented the will of the Father. Now you share my heart and you be successful. Back in 1 Samuel 18, we see once again this spirit modeled by Jonathan towards David. Now keep in mind the relationship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan is the son, the true heir of King Saul. But David is the one who had been anointed to be the heir. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, along with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. The things that Jonathan should have been wearing when he goes around in public so people can say, Ah, Jonathan, the son of the king. He gives them to David for David's success. And verse 5 says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he prospered. But at great sacrifice from Jonathan, in sharing this with David, for David's fruitfulness and David's success. Why was Jonathan willing to do this? Because it was fruitful towards the will of God for God's plan in David's life. And if David succeeds, Jonathan says, I succeed, and God is praised, and there is fruit. Did it cost Jonathan something? Absolutely. He sacrificed. He shared. But they both helped one another fulfill God's will in their individual lives, and God was glorified, and fruit abounded, and that is success. Let me ask us a question. Are we committed to the success of one another? in a sacrificial and sharing way? Are we committed to the success of one another in a sacrificial 
and sharing way. Do you see life in such a way that if your brother or sister in Christ wins, you win too? Do you honestly think that way? If they rejoice, you rejoice, even if they got something that you did not. If they're successful, you're successful. I think Jesus is telling his disciples here, I am committed to your success. To this end, I chose you. I've invested my life in you. I've shared with you the will of the Father. I've perfectly lived in obedience to the will of the Father. And now I'm calling you as my representatives to be successful in biblical friendship, in relating to the world, asking everything in my name according to the will of the Father to the same end in which I lived my life so that you will be successful. And what do we mean by successful? God is glorified, and God's will is done in our lives. Is that the way you live every day? How are we doing in our biblical friendships toward one another at Fourth Baptist Church? Are we defined as sacrificial, sharing, and successful in our friendships? I said at the onset of this sermon that John's Gospel, chapter 15, begins first with the believer's relationship to Christ, the branch's relationship to the vine. And I want to remind us of this relationship. Go back to chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus tells his disciples a truth. And really, the, the truth is this. Only as we are remaining and abiding in the love of Jesus the vine will we be able to lovingly sacrifice, share, and live for the success of others. Verse 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It is only as we are fully satisfied in our relationship with Christ the vine that we will give ourselves in biblical friendship to the branches. If you're not loving Jesus Christ fully and finding your joy, as verse 11 says, fulfilled in your relationship with him, you will not biblically love one another in friendship. You will use one another in an attempt to fulfill your joy. Sure, you'll sacrifice, but you'll sacrifice for ulterior motives. You know what? To wrap this up, I've got to land this plane. My time is up. Here is my personal takeaway for the week. If, you, if you're looking for an application, you can borrow mine. Here is what has been coming back to my mind over and over and over again in the way I relate to church members, to my wife, to my children, to my friends. I must seek to love others not be liked by others. I must seek to love others, whether or not they love me or like me back. Is that natural for you? Sure, I'll sacrifice, but just to get you to like me, and if you don't like me, I'll take my sacrifice elsewhere. That's normally the way I act. Sure, I'll share, but just to manipulate you to get something else that I want, and if I don't get it, I'll take my sharing elsewhere. Sure, I'll root for your success as long as it doesn't get in the way of my own success. But if I'm content to rest in the joy of the love of Christ, 
I will be free to love others regardless of whether they love me or like me back. And I'll be free not just to give of myself to them, but to give myself to them. Father, may we follow the example of your son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed for us, who shared his very human heart with us, and who invested in his disciples and prays for us and intercedes for us so that we can be successful in living out the will that you have for each and every one of us. Lord, we do not need to compete with one another. We need to live for one another as we live for you. And may people see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.